Time for seafood news. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. Summer means it's officially lobster season in Maine. Between June and July, lobsters in the cold waters of the Gulf of Maine shed their shells, and the result is new shell lobster. Perfectly sweet with tender meat with a softer shell that's easier to crack into. Visit lobsterformaine.com to learn more. I'm news assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm Ernerberry Seafood Market Reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, Gordon Seafood President and CEO Judson Reese is retiring after more than 29 years with the company. The Gloucester, Massachusetts-based company made the announcement regarding Reese's retirement on Thursday last week. The company also announced that their current VP of Sales, Kurt Hogan, will be promoted to President and CEO. Reese joined Gordon's in 1990 as an associate marketing manager, eventually working his way up to VP of marketing in 2004 and president and CEO in 2009. In the past 10 years, he successfully guided the Gordon's business through a rapidly changing consumer environment by transforming the company to be a more agile and customer focused. Changes during uh, his tenure include simplifying retail ingredients, improving health profiles, upgrading core products, and adding new innovations. In addition to serving as Gordon's president and CEO, Reese also served as chairman of the National Fisheries Institute and founding chairman of the Seafood Nutrition Partnership. Reese is set to retire on January 1st of 2020, which is when Hogan will assume his new position. Now, Hogan's been with Gordon's for 28 years, first joining the company a year after in 1991 as a field-based regional manager and working his way up through different sales management positions over the years. In 2010, Hogan was named director of sales, and in 2012, he was promoted to vice president of sales. Congrats to both of them. So in other news, Publix recently announced a new banner-wide seafood labeling program to build on on customer interest in responsibly sourced seafood. The company has two color-coded labels, blue and green. The blue label indicates responsibly sourced for both wild and farmed seafood, and the green label indicates sustainably sourced, again for both wild and farmed seafood. In addition, Publix has a green, why sustainably sourced label for seafood that contains no bisulfates, phosphates, or similar processing aids. For farmed species, this label also signifies no antibiotics or hormones are used. Uh, With the new labels, Publix wants their customers to trust their banner, not an outside party that is customer-facing, such as the blue MSC label. This allows Publix to source products regardless of whether they use the MSC label on packaging or not, so that Publix suppliers do not face the surcharge royalty for using the MSC Eco label. The way the company got to this point was to rigorously evaluate and approach sustainability issues by relying on expert outside advice and forming a range of partnerships and to support initiatives like the Global Sustainable Seafood Initiative, which benchmark eco-labels for equivalence. The upshot of these activities is that Publix can put itself forward as a credible source of sustainable and responsibly sourced seafood, building customer trust without sacrificing control of its sourcing to outside organizations beyond its control. Once research and data is collected about a seafood item, the company makes a product evaluation annually to determine where improvements are needed. And let's head over to the West Coast because next up, Governor Jay Inslee toured three projects in northern Washington Wednesday to see how state agencies, tribes, local governments, and nonprofits are carrying out recent legislation to aid orca and salmon recovery. He visited a restored fish passageway in Arlington called Edgecombe Creek that will bring more fish into waterways. Uh, saw how experts recently restored a Cornet Bay shoreline to its natural habitat and then experienced a land-based whale watching tour through a whale trail site. 
The projects directly contribute to a healthier, more robust ecosystem for southern resident orcas, salmon, and forage fish, Inslee said. The efforts to produce more salmon and increase salmon habitat is critical for both southern resident killer whales and sport and commercial fishermen. The seafood industry already is under pressure to potentially change fisheries management to allow more salmon for orcas. The incremental efforts Inslee toured this week align with recommendations from Inslee's Southern Resident Orca Task Force and legislation he signed earlier this year. Uh, The task force recommendations include increase the abundance of Chinook salmon, decrease disturbance and other risks posed by vessel traffic and noise, reduce exposure to toxic pollutants for orcas and their prey, and ensure adequate funding information and accountability measures are in place to support effective recovery efforts moving forward. Thanks, Ryan. With China's new generation of consumers attaching more and more importance to a healthy lifestyle, seafood has become increasingly popular in the Asian market. It is luring seafood suppliers all over the world with its great market potential. This year, some suppliers have seen increases in their shrimp exports to China, but some have not. India is one of the winners in promoting a shrimp to China. In May alone, it sold 12,463 tons of white shrimp to China, and the volume is ballooned by 546% compared with the same period last year. Its export value has also skyrocketed by 489% to reach 69 million U.S. dollars. Uh, meanwhile, Ecuador has also enjoyed a dramatic increase in its white shrimp export to China, and in May, its export volume jumped by 463% uh, to reach 27,537 tons, while the export value has risen dramatically by 362% to reach 22 million U.S. dollars. However, Argentina has noticed a contraction in its shrimp exports to China, while its exports to the U.S. has increased. Its export volume to China has dropped to 2,274 tons, but the balance is very likely to be maintained between supply and demand later this year because its shrimp harvest usually declines to a great extent from every June to late October. In other news, fishing vessel Daphne sent a distress call at approximately 10.55 a.m. last Sunday, alerting the Coast Guard that their vessel had capsized and sunk. All five people on board were able to abandon ship into a skiff. However, they only had one survival suit and one handheld radio. According to the notification received by the Coast Guard 17th District Watch Standards, uh, the fishermen were holding onto their seine net. The Coast Guard station Ketchikan launched a 45-foot response boat medium crew, uh, and an Alaskan State Trooper boat crew was also launched. Uh, the response boat rescued the four fishermen, while a good Samaritan vessel, the Lovey jo- Joanne, uh, rescued the master of the Daphne, who was holding on to the net. Uh, the net was able to be retrieved, uh, and all of the crew were saved. But Thank the 49 foot, yes, th- that, that's the best part about this. I was it, waiting for. Yeah, no, I, I, I buried the lead there. I probably should have put that up uh, ahead, but no, they were all safe and all accounted for. Um, but their 49 foot commercial fishing vessel did sink in 500 foot deep water. Yikes. And the next step is the Coast Guard Marine Safety Detachment. Um, personnel is investigating pollution and is going to um, investigate a potential salvage response. The Coast Guard usually makes headlines for its search and rescues, like the one we just talked about, but it's black-hulled buoy tenders that keep Alaska's navigational buoys and beacons operating accurately and at full capacity have the potential to save far more lives. Now, this story is really interesting. A seafood News' Peggy Parker really dove deep into this Um Thursday, she, she wrote this up, and it, it's a really cool story. Um, the Kodiak-based 225-foot cutter spar, for instance, maintains buoys and beacons that guide mariners through some of the most remote and inhospitable waters in the world. And it's the same area where most pollock 
cod, and crab are caught in Alaska's exclusive economic zone. Uh, the Cutter Spar is able to provide this important service because it is a member of the Coast Guard's Juniper class of buoy tenders, each fitted with a twin diesel engine propulsion system that provides the speed and maneuverability necessary to tend coastal and offshore buoys in exposed locations. Meanwhile, on Thursday, Fisheries and Oceans Canada and the Canadian Coast Guard kicked off their three-day operation to remove ghost gear from the Gulf of St. Lawrence. The operation is part of the Canadian government's effort to protect the endangered North Atlantic right whales. According to the DFO, fisheries officers from throughout Atlantic Canada and Quebec boarded Coast Guard vessels to comb areas of the Gulf with the highest reported gear loss. The vessels received air support from the, ghost, from the Coast Guard helicopter, as well as a conservation and protection surveillance aircraft in an effort to help locate gear floating on the surface. The ships plan to unload in areas in New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. The operation to remove ghost gear from the Gulf of St. Lawrence comes after the death of six North Atlantic right whales in Canadian waters. Earlier this month, Transport Canada introduced new measures to protect the endangered whale, including increasing surveillance, expanding slowdown zones, and adjusting the trigger for fisheries closures. That's great teamwork on yes. the behalf of everyone there, and it's much needed. Well, that about does it for us. Once again, this podcast was brought to you by Maine Lobster. Enjoy Maine New Shell Lobster this summer and learn more at lobsterfrommaine.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.